House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Oh, welcome back to the House of Mystery. We're at the interview part of the show. Uh, joining us today is uh, author Adam Stevens. Thank you for being here. Oh, Alan, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Wow. So now you've written a lot of books, so you're you're into this big time. Um, where where did this start for you, um, writing books? Well, I'll tell you, I've had a very long and interesting life, and it's always been my grandmother that's encouraged me to write, and I've just ignored her. But in 1997... Um, I, I just tragically wanted to end my life. And I actually reflected this in two of my books. Um, I, I wanted to end my life. I, I just, it was over for me. I, I was tired with the circular, destructive nature of, of my own personal life and reflected that kind of in my, um, per, in my personal writings. And um, I published this manuscript, and I published it to my family in 1997. Now, my grandmother loved it, but my parents basically disowned me. And at the time, you know, I had more respect for my grandmother than my parents anyway. So, I, you know, I, I cherish the fact that the one cheerleader that I had enjoyed reading my story. And it's... It's later, um, later in my life, I kept writing after that, never publishing, never knowing anything about Amazon, self-publishing, um, never knowing about, you know, how to send a book to a publisher, but I was in China teaching English as a foreign language in high school, and I read one of my students' papers, and it was a story about Amanda Hawking. I've never heard of Amanda Hawking before, but I read about her success in writing and self-publishing in Amazon. Now, I had plenty of free time teaching English as a foreign language, so I immediately went online and I did some research and realized that, wow, I now have an avenue of therapy to tell my story. And I fictionalized the harsh reality of my childhood and developed the character to be extremely addictive. And um, from that point on, um, I've, I've attempted to evolve outside the book and allow the reader to surround themselves with all of the descriptive environment um, as the chronological story unfolds. And they don't just get a feeling for the character itself. They get the feeling for... Um, the environment around the character. And some people get it, and some people just don't get it. Um, I, I don't say that I'm a gay romance writer. I write gay literature or gay fiction, but I write to an 18-plus erotic crowd because there's so many sexual scenes in my books. Now, I've learned to scale down that um, uh, descriptiveness as much as I possibly could 
to prevent people from reporting the books as pornography. And you have to be real careful, and you have to walk a fine line when you're writing um, this type of of um, book. And it's a very niche market. Um, Male-male literature, gay literature, is becoming very, very popular. And I think it's more popular between um, uh, middle-aged married women than gay men themselves. But... I see a 90% um, purchase rate uh, and friend requests and and such from middle-aged married women. And I find that quite odd, but I find it rewarding at the same time because they can emotionally connect perhaps better than a gay male reading my stories. Do you think that's why... um the females buy the books? Is it because of their connection to the emotional part of it? I believe so, 100%, because um, I, I this is hard to say because, you know, it's hard to say that men are not romantic and not um, uh, emotional, um, especially being a gay male. I'm extremely emotional and extremely sensitive. However, um, women, especially middle-aged married women, are looking for a bit of a fantasy, a bit of an adventure. And I created my main character um, to basically um, be able to emotionally drive these women um, crazy by reaching out and touching every emotion that I can possibly create in, in each of the stories that I've written. And um, like you said, I have a very large library, and it evolves, um, you know, kind of chronologically from a kid that wants to, you know, kill himself after the sixth book to, you know, where the happily ever after, happily ever afters, really start to um, to hit the books. And that's where book sales kind of started to pick up, was after the sixth book. So, you know, if, if you don't mind me saying, I think that um, when you were starting to write, you were talking, it was kind of an outlet for how you were feeling, feeling about your life and, and, and not being happy. Um, so, that must have been very emotional. That must have been very, because it's very close to who you are, your heart and all that. Um, so do you keep that in your writing even to this day? Oh, yes. Um, I've started since the Rainbow Reader um, collection has pretty much ended. I've started a new series, um, my first book being uh, In the Nick of Time. My current work in progress being uh, just in the nick of time, and they're completely new characters, um, completely created out of my imagination for um, a combination of a love story and a little bit of paranormal experience where they um, experience and encounter um, what their souls are actually all about 
and encounter a ghost that trains uh, one of my characters, um, you know, how to embrace the powers that he has and, and, and things like that. I don't want to give too much away about that story yet, but um, as far as the Rainbow Reader series, yes, a developing story has, um, you know, has 15 books in it, and that can be completely intimidating to um, any reader. So I've, I've placed a price point that the reader can actually purchase the first six books in a, um, in a condensed version. All the books are, are there. It's just you can buy them all together for $9.99. And I see a lot of people reading you know, a 600-page book as the book was originally intended to be published. Now, the Rainbow Reader series became what it is today because of this specific point. Um, I wrote a 300-page novel. It was my very first book, and it was called Moments in Time. It's never too late to come out. And... It was published on Amazon, and on Goodreads and Amazon, I had over 40 um, positive, compelling reviews that inspired me to, to keep writing. And I was already on the moments in time, um, it's never too late to start over, uh, which was the book two in the series. However, one day, the book was blocked. My very first book was just gone. And I argued with Amazon, and um, I, re I republished it, recovered it, um, didn't rename it, just uh, just recovered it and, and republished it. I did heavy, extensive editing, which added pages to the book, actually, um, and republished it. And then just a few short days later, um, that same book, Moments in Time, It's Never Too Late to Come Out, was deleted again. And this time, Amazon came out and said it was blocked for pornographic content. And I realized the publishing world was just not going to be for me. I basically gave up. And through some encouraging words from um, two authors that I've met, uh, Cora Knight and Anne McCann, those were two women that had read my books, or read my book, and were blown away by my writing style. And it was a unique type of writing style. Um, and so they really appreciated it and really encouraged me to separate the book, take out the first three chapters of the book. Um, and so that's how the Rainbow Reader series actually began, was from... 300 page novel now each rainbow reader is about 130 to 180 uh words and um and uh basically they're all published individually you can read these books alone but most people start at the beginning reading the rainbow reader red awakening and then they evolve um from book to book to book and I absolutely love um, and, and thrive on reading their comments, whether they're good or bad. 
and there's not many bad reviews on, on any of my books. So I know I've got some type of talent, and um, that's why I keep writing for everyone. Why? Well, you know, what is it that you want people to get out of your books? So when you're when you're putting out these stories and you're trying to get this published and you have, you know, whatever going on, but what is it you're trying to get? What is it you're trying to say to people? First, I would say that in the first six books of the Rainbow Reader series, I would love these books to be available to every high school teenager in their school library. And I would love every high school teenager to to be um, uh, to basically have these books as required reading. Now, obviously, I would have to um, edit these books intensively again to take out some of the more detailed sexual content, perhaps. But right now, um, you know, my writing is for 18 and older. Um, uh, people that that read male male uh, or gay literature. Um, what I'm intending each reader to get out of the books is basically first the emotional connection with the main character, and to be so addicted to the main character's circular destructive series. Um, where where they they're so emotionally involved in the books they can't put them down they can't wait for the next book um, I've got a lot of Kindle Unlimited readers that you know will read through it an entire series I'll look on my Kindle Direct Publishing um, reports and see that somebody's read you know three thousand words of of my books and I go to see which ones they've read and you know they started with red and chronologically read on um, I have a tagline a phrase that I pretty much put with any type of marketing that I do and it's it's quote um, read like you have never read before unquote and that tagline I think has inspired a lot of sales because it doesn't mean read the book upside down or, you know, <laughs> read the book in the shower um, or close your eyes while you're reading the book. It just means that I have a unique writing style that will take them to places that most people, most readers would, would want to be taken in a book. What do you consider your writing style then? Like you talk about your unique writing style. What do you, how, how do you, how do you um, describe that? I would have to say 100%. Um, there's a difference between writers. Now, um, there's a difference between writing styles. Uh, showing somebody what's happening in a scene and telling someone what's happening in a scene are two totally different writing styles. I read a lot of books that have um, the general um, basis of 
telling a story, a narrative story. But I like to get descriptive in the details. I want my readers to know the smells, the sounds, the sights, um, and especially deep down inside what a character is thinking that he's not actually saying but is thinking. And that really hits an emotional um, spark in a lot of readers because it's something that they don't re- they don't expect in a book or a writing style. And um, several readers and several uh, reviews have said that I have quite a purple prose um, that would give J.K. Rowling um, a run for her money. And purple prose meaning I use a lot of alliteration. Um, I use a lot of different literary technical terms, um, you know, to each writing style. Uh, It's not um, uh, something, something, something Nick said, something, something Tim said. Um, You know, I get really, really into the minds of... um, of my characters so that the reader knows what's going on. So I'm showing the reader what's going on rather than telling the reader what's going on. And I think that that is what would make me stand aside um, as an advanced type of of writer. And I didn't start this... um, you know, I didn't start this correctly in my writing style. Um, this has evolved over time since 1997. Um, since 1997, I've become college educated. Um, I've been teaching English as a foreign language for, for many years. And um, and so, I mean, English is, is a natural thing for me. Um, I don't stumble for words. I have a very overactive imagination. I, I hear voices in my head that, you know, I could be laying down in just seconds from sleep, but I have to get up and, and um, get to the computer because if I don't write it down, I'm totally going to forget about it. And those are the scenes that the readers really want to read. You know, it's interesting. So your characters... Where do, where do they come from? Like, how do you create these characters? Are they, are they completely fictionalized? Do you, or is it from people you've met? Maybe someone you've known, someone you see in a coffee shop, or or down the road, or a shopping mall? Yeah, I'm really really glad that you asked that question, um, Alan. The best way to describe it is the first six books of the Rainbow Reader series were loosely um, based on my, my own personal life. And that's something that a lot of readers don't know. However, once I entered into uh, the Moments in Time novels, um, there's, there's three novels after the first six Rainbow Reader books. Um, these three novels also draw a little bit less on my own personal life even though some of the events actually happened. Um, they influenced my writing and my writing style. However, the 
second part of the Rainbow series, which is, um, you know, another five books, um, those are pretty much completely imagination. Um, I, I took different, different opportunities throughout my, uh, throughout developing my writing style thus far. And once the novels were complete and I brought it back to um, the Rainbow Readers, I decided that um, I needed to explain who some of these characters that I've written about are and explain how they fit in with the story. And it was magical for me because my mind would not shut down. Um, I was constantly writing and... I, I I had no free time. I was teaching English as a foreign language, grading papers, or writing. Um, there, were, there was no other time in my life. And sometimes my writing took priority over um, my school responsibilities. In other words, I'd be waking up late, making my coffee, running to class with my coffee, and um, and teaching and then going off in between breaks and, you know, typing away. But, um, you know, my readers also inspire me. Based on their reviews of what they're looking for, that's how I would focus the next book, because they had questions. They needed answers. And so characters were created um, that really defined what the books that have been written about so far were really all about. Sounds like a lot of your characters, it's, a lot of it is working out some of your own details of your own life. Well, I've got a lot of things that have happened to me, as I said already, um, in my life, and... I've been so many places and had so many adventures that um, that I could just write forever. But being honest about my writing is very, very important to me. Um, so that's why most of my ideas come from my own personal experiences in life. Um, Although fictionalized, um, it's it's an outlet for sharing all of my personal innermost releases of of pent up imagination, I guess you would say. So it's it's a way to express myself through the desires of what the readers are actually looking for. So what do you think? What what about your writing that? Um it gives you gives problems with the publishing of it. Like, uh, is it is it just too descriptive in the uh, sexual encounters, or do you think it's more because it's it's with men? I think I'm scaled back, um, given up being able to give enough descriptive um, writing in in each book that I've written. It was only the first book that somebody obviously just didn't like 
um, because it includes uh, my characters, uh, first three chapters of the book, the original book, um, which now are the six Rainbow Readers, um, one person just obviously didn't like that that book and, and had reported it. And it was deleted and deleted the second time after editing. So what I did is I left those three um, chapters out of the Rainbow Reader Red, and I named that book. It's actually available. Some readers want to read it. Um, it's uh, it's called uh, Pink, um, the Secret Manuscript, and it's not available digitally because they would uh, Amazon would just you know uh, block that book, but it is available in paperback. And it's priced a little high. It's priced at $99.99. <laughs> the reason why it's priced so high is that all the proceeds for the, um, the sales of the Rainbow Reader books, the first six books, I mean, the, yeah, first six books plus pink, obviously, are all a fundraiser for the Homeless Youth Ranch. Now, once you get through the first six books, you get through the next three novels, you start learning about what the Homeless Youth Ranch is all about. And it's an actual personal dream that I have um, that I believe that I was put on this earth to achieve. But in the books, um, starting after the three novels, um, starting with um, the Rainbow Reader White, um, it begins to talk about what the Homeless Youth Ranch is. And it basically goes into um, why the Homeless Youth Ranch is important, where these kids are coming from, and in three books, uh, gray, the Rainbow Reader Gray, Rainbow Reader Black, and the Rainbow Reader Brown, those three books articulate specifically um, how the Homeless Youth Ranch was formed. Now, of course, I haven't formed this yet because this is still fictional, but it shows in a fictional setting what can be done um, and how the home the the homeless youth need to be helped um and i'll just tell you a personal story that that happened to me very recently which is a point in all three of these books um just recently i i was going to i just finished up at a doctor and i was in an uber and i convinced the uber driver to take me to starbucks so he got onto my cell phone and I made a, a mobile order to that Starbucks and we pulled into the Starbucks right at the main door. I noticed this boy didn't know how old he was because he was, his knees were bent up and his arms were around his knees and his head was, you know, down in, in his lap area. So he was, you know, hunched over in a corner. And it was cold. It was about 57 degrees outside, and he wasn't dressed for it. Um, 
I saw a shopping cart. I'm starting to cheer up already. I saw a shopping cart of um, three huge trash bags full of bottles and cans that I'm sure he was waiting for the recycling center to open um, at 10 o'clock in the morning, which was just, you know, a few minutes away. I went inside, and I was waiting for my mobile order, and it wasn't ready yet, and all I could think about was this kid. I've got to do something for this kid. Now, if I had my own car, I'd go find him help. I'd go check him into a hotel room. I'd go do anything I could for this kid, get him, you know, social services help if he wanted social services help. For example, he he may have run away from his family because of of any reason. Um, You know, he could have uh, came out as being gay and his family turned against him. And that's very common. He could have come from a foster home and the foster, you know, parents beat him. Um, you know, any any one of these reasons, I would have loved to have time to sit down and talk to him and, and find out why is he sitting on the street. Finally, my mobile order was ready. I looked in my wallet, and all I had was a $20 bill, and that was fine. But that was my last $20 for the entire month. And so I went outside. I tapped the boy on his shoulder. He raised his head up. It was tear-stained and dirty, and he smelled. I could smell his smell. And I said, here, it's not much, but this is for you. Now, my $20 that I gave him was probably more than the bottles and cans that he had in his cart, but he just said two things to me. He said, thank you, and got you. And um, so I, I basically, Alan, you know, he, he touched my heart. What is a 15-year-old doing or 16-year-old doing out in the street homeless? It, it shouldn't happen. Um, but I, I got into the Uber and... The lady said, what was, that, what was that all about? And I said, well, he's obviously homeless, and, you know, he needed some money, and I gave him the only $20 that I had. And she says, oh, you are, you are a saint. And I said, yeah, I wish I could do more for him. And that's what we talked about on the whole rest of the ride home was the homeless youth ranch and how that's, how that's my dream. So a lot of people don't know this, and it's something that I've been meaning to do is go back into the first Rainbow Reader, the Rainbow Reader Red, and, um, you know, put a prequel um, to that book that explains that, you know, the purchase of each of these Rainbow Reader books go directly to the Homeless Youth Ranch. And, um, and it's something I'm seriously considering now. Well, that's 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 great. Um, so, where, where do you see yourself going um, with the writing? It looks like you kind of have a direction and you kind of have an idea. So, where where do you see this heading? Oh, do I ever have an idea? Um, again, being able to express my innermost thoughts and desires. Um, 
I'm I'm having a blast writing my current work in progress. Now, my book um, uh, in the nick of time is about uh, two college students, Nick and Tim. That's a little metaphor with the book title in the nick of time, <laughs> and that um, that story was was just. Uh, an amazing adventure to write because I didn't I didn't pull on any specific um, memory from my own life. It was completely generated by my imagination. Like I told you already, falling asleep and you know just getting to that dream state, and I've got six pages in my head that have to be written because I don't want to waste those those six pages. And I would get to the computer, I would wake up and, you know, get to the computer, force myself to wake up even, get to the computer and, um, you know, start hacking away at the keyboard. And that's what stimulates me is when I have um, the voices in my head telling me what to write, it it gives me extreme pleasure to be able to take that information and elaborate on it even more. It gives me a focus and a direction and um, and it seems like in the nick of time, the first first book of this new series, it seems like a totally different me because I transition each um, each chapter from from one phase of the character's life to the next phase of the character's life and how they interact and how they intermingle and then it gets even better the current works in progress that I'm having right now um this writing is so creative because even though I just touched on the paranormal in the first book, I'm all over it in the second book. Um, Nick, uh, after a summer of house-sitting uh, for his uncle at this big, huge old manor in the middle of nowhere, um basically uh Nick and Tim are back at college and Nick isn't spending as much time as Tim needs him to to spend with him and so um I I'll just spill, I'll just spill the beans <laughs> um Alistair who's actually a ghost that used to live in this house, or this manor, as I call it. Um, Alistair actually travels through mirrors as a ghost and visits Nick every day at college or at university. And every day um, he is sharing something new um, about 
Nick's life. And Nick has a soul. Everybody has a soul. But Nick has a soul that's a venerable soul, a meaning um, his soul can move to the previous uh, body that that soul um, had, uh, had, had been in. And uh, Nick could travel back as far as um, when the Phoenicians were in what's now called Upper, Upper Michigan, um, you know, looking for copper um, for the pharaohs. Um, Nick could travel to um, uh, the, the person who was the innkeeper that uh, turned away a man from uh, Bethlehem and his wife who were um, in town to pay their taxes, being Joseph and Mary, and, you know, suggested out of Nick's good nature um, that they could go sleep in the stable. And, you know, so, so Nick has been back and forth, um, you know, through time, if you will, and it's it's becoming a very interesting story because the storyline continues from the first book about this summer the manor is being turned into a very exclusive bed and breakfast and is not only just being watched by Nick and Tim but has um, staff as a cook, as a housekeeper, has two cowboys working on the ranch. And, you know, it's, it's, so it's two stories in one. Um, but they're combined. And it's been fascinating to write. And it inspires me. But I can't say that, um, I've ever been stuck for something to write. I mean, I'm just pushing 100,000 words right now and just pushing 400 pages. So I don't know where I'm going to go with this but because I've still got four more chapters to write. So this is going to be a pretty lengthy book. Well, you know, it's... Um, um, I think that um, you're very attached to your to your writing and your characters. How how do how do things around you af affect your writing? So, you know, like this year with all the uh, you know the COVID and all the the, the issues uh, happening in the country, it, it must it must seep into your writing. Do, uh, do you find that it does? Um, I'll be honest with you, um, Alan. Since President Trump uh, announced on March 14th, I guess, last to this year. Um, I have not been very active on Facebook and not written one word until August. Um, I was very, very, um, oh, I don't know how to put it, very, very scared. I remained very isolated, which meant it would have given me plenty of time to write, but I had no ability to write. It wasn't a writer's block. 
it was more of um, my mind was in a panic. You know, anything could happen at any time. The economy could just drop. Oh, my God, there's a coin shortage. How could there be a coin shortage? Just print more coins. Um, just, just stressing over the COVID. And then um, in midsummer, uh, a tragedy happened, an extreme tragedy. Um, in in mid, mid-June, my dog started acting very unusual. Now, we had been in an accident. Uh, we were hit behind um, in a tragic accident where we were both injured. She ended up getting a collapsing trachea, and I have a myriad of, of, of disabilities. Um, and I took her to the vet, telling the doctor that, you know, she's got some problems, and um, they looked at her, and... He said, well, it's just like I said before, they took some x-rays. Just like I said before, she has a collapsing trachea, but the trachea is almost so closed, I'm starting to tear up again, um, that she's having a difficulty breathing. Um, I can prescribe her some drugs to make her feel better, but um, but I, I don't have much hope. Um, I can try to perform surgery on her and replace that part of the trachea, but this could be a five to seven thousand dollar surgery. And I said I love my dog so much; she's 13 years old, um, but I don't have that money or access to that to that money whatsoever. Um, so he says, "Well, the drugs will will help her help her, um, you know, the best that that she can." or that they can. Um, ten days later, with the, my poor dog, just I'm seeing her wither away and um, cuddle up with me, you know, as much as she possibly can. Um, I finally decided that it was time for her to, you know, be put down. And I called the vet's office, and they said they, you know, could take her today. Um, and I brought her in. She sat on my lap and just licking my face. I'm just in tears. Um, you know, I can't see the end of my, my love, you know, for 13 years. I can't see that, um, that ending. And, you know, a few minutes later when the vet came in, he says, here's the three shots. By the third shot, she'll have about one second left, and, and it'll be over, so it's time to say goodbyes. And, um, you know, he said, here's shot one, here's shot two. You got about one second, here's shot three. And I felt her last breath, on, you know, from her stomach. And then that was it. She was just limp. I was holding her in my arms. And... That's probably, you know, everybody says 2020 has been their, the worst year of their life. But, you know, I can I can relate to that. July 1st, you know, my baby and my love died. But since then, um, my depression just skyrocketed. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't even want to eat. And in August... 
um, I decided that the best therapy that I could do is to start writing book two of this series, which is just in the nick of time. It's about Justin, Nick, and Tim. And that therapy, um, even though I talk to Morgan, my dog, you know, every day, that therapy has been uh, extremely um, good for me. That's why I'm nearly to 100,000 words since, you know, August. And that's a lot of words for a writer to write. Um, I've gone through the book several times, you know, and done a complete reread. I do have an editor that's in Australia. Um, her name is Anne McCann, and she's been outstanding editing all of my works. Um, she'll even offer suggestions of, you know, you made this mention earlier in the book. Do you want to maintain, you know, the same meaning and such? Um, so she's a great person to work with, but um, I just think that the entire COVID time from March until August, I did nothing but but just waste time with my anxiety so high. Starting in August, though, I've been writing up a storm, and it's changed my outlook on life because it's given me a purpose again. And I think that's what actually inspired me to write back in the beginning was this was actually giving me therapy. It was giving me a purpose, um, something to do more than just day-to-day life responsibilities. It was, this is my purpose, is to write, to entertain people um, and to give them a story that they can deeply emotionally relate with and uh hopefully this new series is going to be really popular yeah i hope it does well now do do you have a a website or do you have a place that you prefer people to go if they want to find out more about you and your writing i don't have a website um i haven't kept that up um but i do have my amazon uh, profile page so Basically, if you go into Amazon and search for Adam Stevens, you'll see, um, you know, all my Rainbow Reader books come up that say Adam Stevens on it, and you'll see my author page come up probably first. There is another Adam Stevens out there who's a race car driver. That's not me. Um, <laughs> but um, but uh, uh, that's the best way to find out who I am and it explains more about my history, why I write, um, and, uh, and with the Amazon author central page, you can actually see all of my works. Um, you can see all the things that I've blogged and you can see, um, you can click on each book and see the reviews that other people have left on the book. So I really appreciate this type of service from Amazon. Um, I can also be reached and seen on Goodreads. Um, a lot of people don't review their books on Amazon. They only review their books on, on Goodreads. And I find that unusual, but... Um, 
you know, I'm happy that they review the books, period. Legacy Food Storage, the best way to protect your family is by being prepared. Go now to LegacyFoodStorage.com. Use coupon code HOM15 now for 15% off. Quick, go. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you! If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.